0: Get up to two free months of podcast hosting service with Lipsyn. Use our unique promo code LATINAPOD to get your show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Get critical audience building stats and all the support you need to sound your best. They can even do video. Bring your podcast to life and have your voice heard here, there and everywhere with Lipsyn. Again, make sure to use Lipsyn promo code LATINAPOD and get podcasting.
1: you're listening to empowerment and all that podcast your favorite podcast for women's empowerment hosted by rita bautista it's time to be reminded of the authority of your inner goddess and elevate the power within are you ready Thank you for having me, Rita. Lisa, so in the middle of all of this busyness that you do (laughs) in helping the community, I mean, what inspired you, like, you know, what inspires you to continue doing all of this and to like really just be so engulfed in helping everyone?
2: Wow. Well, my first inspiration is always my students because they are amazing individuals that are like on a daily basis conquering New strategies and learning about themselves, working with high schoolers, it's like I learn more than they do every day, potentially. And so I'm really inspired by that. But I'm also really inspired by my faith. I mean, I I really believe that all humans are created in God's image, which makes everyone brothers and sisters. So when there's injustice and when people don't have access to power and opportunity, then it breaks my heart and there's like, we have a long way to go in order for everyone to achieve liberation. Wow. That is, that is very,
1: very powerful. Um, where, where are you from originally? Where are your parents
2: from? Yeah. Well, I grew up in North Carolina and Mm my mom came to the U S from Colombia shortly before I was born. So I was born here Mm -hmm. in the U S And then my trajectory has given me strong affiliation to some different places. Um, My father's side of the family is from North Carolina. And then I went to school at the University of Miami, also known as the U. Very proud of that. And started (laughs) my career in education in Miami and then moved to the Dominican Republic where I was teaching high school in Santo Domingo. And from Dominican Republic, I moved to New Orleans 10 years ago, so New Orleans is definitely home now and forever, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but I do go back often to Colombia and also to North Carolina to visit my family, of course.
1: And who would you say has been a big, like a mentor for you in in all of your journey when it comes down to social work and also just like career development?
2: Well, um, I would first and foremost, I always have to say my mom. Um, we have different life paths and different experiences but her go-getter attitude and like won't take no for an answer and maybe she um if she doesn't know a system she'll figure it out Mm -hmm. that resourcefulness and like willingness to put herself out there and ask questions and take risks is something that she might regret the degree to which it's passed on to me (laughs) because I'm quite a risk taker but truthfully, she has really taught me, and it's, it's really been amazing as I get older to watch her and her process of learning and growing across her life. And that's, like, really motivating and inspiring to me, um, her own story. And um, I could also say, like, on a professional side, I've been blessed to have people who have poured into me. And... Um, Just being open to hearing people's recommendations and being open to opportunities has been it's been a huge blessing. And it's something that I seek to do and seek to give back to those who are around me as well.
1: Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, I can attest to the Latina mother who makes sure that you don't take no for an answer. Mine still to this day believes that I can conquer everything,
2: even if I don't think I can.
1: She just, for some reason, thinks we're all born with this like amazing willpower. So I love that your mom is like...
2: She doesn't take mm-hmm. no for an answer. If she has a goal, she's going to reach it. She's going to figure it out. And so that's a spirit that I think a lot of immigrants bring with them to the U.S. and inculcate to their children. And honestly, it's a gift and it's a strength that not everybody has. And those are some of the overlooked pieces that I think... We might not talk about that in terms of a skill set, but when you have a mindset of I will accomplish my goals, it is like I'll do anything necessary because I have clarity around the why, then Mm -hmm. that's a gift. It's a huge gift.
1: Absolutely. I, I don't think that there's anything my mother thinks that I can't do. Like, <laughs> She's like, no, you're going to do this because you have no choice, one, but you can <laughs> persevere. If we made it here, you can do it, too. Like, I'm just like, yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. Like, our, there's no mentor like the Latina mom. Like,
2: <laughs> That's right.
1: So, yeah. so Okay, so I saw the other day you were posting these videos of yourself going over the border to go help out families that were, um, immigrant families that were trying to make their way up here. And they were basically being sheltered by, was it a, a church or, yeah, tell me a little bit about that experience because one, I, I my heart was like pounding when I saw you doing that and I was just like, Oh my God, one, is it safe? And two, like you human being for even doing that. So please tell us a little bit about what was going on, how you got yourself involved. um, And and yeah, I'd love to hear that. Oh,
2: sure. And I'm really glad that you Brought this up, and you named a few things that I've heard a lot of people ask me about because there is a narrative that's formed, and the narrative is formed by those who are in power, by those who are in control, and Mm -hmm. that narrative says this is dangerous, this is scary, and it's not true. And I'm not saying that there's not danger associated, but there's danger here in New Orleans, there's danger everywhere in the U.S. and everywhere in the world. And so I think that is like a narrative of fear that's been pushed out in order to divide us. And I just want to address it head on um, mm-hmm. and kind of demystify it like this wasn't any big orchestrated plan. I actually had a conference in San Diego um, sponsored by the Kellogg Community Leadership Network. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, if I'm already going to be in San Diego, that's only 14 miles from the border of Tijuana. I'm a high school social worker. I've been supporting immigrant youth in New Orleans for the last 10 years. And many of my students came here unaccompanied to the U.S. seeking asylum. Mm-hmm. And I'm currently, that's what the nonprofit ALAS works on um, yeah. with them. That's part of it. And we, and we can talk about that in a moment. But um, I honestly wanted to go and learn and just see what was going on. And so I just, literally put a facebook post out like three weeks ago Said, does anybody know anybody doing great work in tijuana with people who are seeking uh, asylum in the u.s and Mm -hmm. somebody wrote back and said yeah there's this church called templo embajadores de jesus the pastor's name is i got excited because it was a woman pastor (laughs) and she said here's her phone number (laughs) She said, here's her phone number. So I called Saida and she's like, you know, who are you? And rightly so. (laughs) And just let her know, like, I'd like to come and help in whatever way I can. It turned out they had a medical team there. And it would be of assistance to them to have an interpreter. So great. Um, I literally just um, walked across the border on the pedestrian bridge, which um, it seems like this big deal, right? But if you think about it, For you to go 14 miles from your house, wherever you live, is that a big deal? No. So it's the same thing. Like it's, it's one piece of land that used to be Mexico and now it's the U.S. Oh, I live in Texas currently. So I totally know that narrative. You know, (laughs) yeah. And so, okay. Walk across, get a taxi, give them the address, show up at this place. And sure enough, it's a church that has a shelter. And I had a real like God moment right when I got there because the person who opened the door used to go to my church in the Dominican Republic. He was a refugee in the Dominican Republic from Haiti and now has traveled with a group of Haitians from Chile all the way up through South America, Central America. And he opened the door and I was like, wait a minute. And he knew me and I knew him. It was it was like, wow. Um, A real affirmation that this is where I was supposed to be at that moment. And honestly, I was going to learn. I wanted to contribute in whatever way I could. But um, while I was there interpreting for the medical team, the people were telling their stories of having lost family members on the way, having lost children on the way, Mm -hmm. and sick children who, like, because the mother's. We're suffering from malnutrition. It couldn't produce enough breast milk to feed their babies. And so it's just a dire situation. And I was like, oh, I came here to learn, but that's not why God had me here. <laughs> like, I need to yeah. do something about this. And not that I alone... Um, could do much but together with the power of the community we can do so much like you can just be an ordinary person like me like you like anyone and bring together a bunch of other ordinary people and make a big difference and I'm I'm really Mm -hmm. inspired by everybody who has pitched in so I just literally made a GoFundMe posted it on Facebook that night shared the story that I just shared with you and so far we've received six thousand and five dollars Oh my gosh. Um It's still open and active, um, and so then after the conference, I just extended my flights, um, and I want to demystify that too, because that sounds like, oh, who has money to extend a flight? Not me. I'm starting a nonprofit, but it was on Southwest, right. <laughs> so I just logged in, <laughs> and there's no change fee, so just changed it. So I just want to make this like easy and accessible for anyone listening, like you can do something Absolutely. great with whatever you have. Um, and so then I went Lisa, back, I would love, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, it's mm-hmm. okay. Um, so then I went back after the conference the following weekend and we went grocery shopping, um, because, and it, like, what's important here is to center the people who were in the shelter and the people who are running the shelter, mm-hmm. because they're the ones who are there every day. They know what they need. They know what works well with diets. They know, like, um, it's just so important not to say like, oh, okay, I'll go grocery shopping and give the, I don't know the right things to pick out. Like, right. I don't want to assume. And fortunately, um, the pastor, she had already gone to all of the local stores and she knew, well, you can get twice the amount of chicken for that price at this store. So we went to three different stores, got a bunch of food. And um, now the next step is so that people can donate. We're setting up uh, PayPal for them so that they can have a link and anybody can donate anytime so that it doesn't have to be centralized through, you know, any other person.
1: So that's awesome. I want you to share that link with me so that any of the listeners who may be interested in donating some funds to the, um, the church down in Tijuana, they're able to.
2: And you know that. what? Say that is an example of a person, an ordinary person doing extraordinary things because they three years ago met a family who had no shelter, invited them to stay on the floor in their church, and then three months later had 525 people there. And they don't have, like, (laughs) you know, the business plan and the funding and the everything ready. They are literally just loving their neighbor and figuring it out together with their church community, selling the things they have to provide for people who they don't know. It's just like you you can do extraordinary things no matter who you are or where you are. You just have to want to do it
1: yeah no absolutely lisa when you were down there did you see any more community helping them or is it like they're just like the mentor the the center point in that area for um you know immigrants that are traveling up through that area
2: no there are several different uh shelters and i think they're working together like amongst the shelters to try to house and troubleshoot and make sure that different populations get the care that they need. Um, it seems pretty grassroots and like people who care just saying, hey, let's all meet on Tuesday and figure this out, you know. Um, yeah. And also Saida has told me a little bit about help from other people who um, have wanted to donate water and donate food. And so it seems like people are coming together. They might not be in the news or highlighted for it, but people are taking care of people, yes.
1: You know what's great that we hear this story of this type of mobilization because it seems as though even the Hispanic community now is trying to join in on the negativity and saying that these people are not being um, taken care of or that things are going on that are that you know aren't necessarily positive. So it's great to hear that the community is definitely coming together to help um, these the immigrants that are trying to make their way here.
2: Now, I do want to point out, these are not U.S. border facilities at all. This is just a person right. with it. So I can't speak on that. I have not visited one. And I, too, have seen the news that is horrific and problematic. Um, yeah. And I can't underscore how dire the situation is. Like, while there are people on the ground who care They don't necessarily have all the resources to provide for all the people that they are providing for. And so I do think Mm -hmm. that there's an opportunity here, especially for those of us who are in the U.S., um, especially because the dollar goes farther once it's converted to a peso, to be able to support Mm -hmm. financially the people who are actually supporting with their time and their um, structures and providing physical shelter.
1: Wow. 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 You really are inspiring me to want to go over there. I mean, it's it's just so, you know, it's interesting. My parents being Honduran, like, they came to this country 30 years ago. I couldn't imagine had they not have came here the way that they did back then, you know, us actually going through something like this. Like, it's, it's just very... um A very selfless act of of yours to do something that that awesome to help these people. I mean, I can't tell you how, how thankful I am that you were able to share that story. And it's interesting, the power of social media as well, that, you know, we could literally watch and experience what you were experiencing while you're going shopping, while you're walking over the border, while you're, you know, and for people who don't have eyes and ears down there to see somebody who's a you know a pillar of community engagement in New Orleans to watch you do that it's just it was so inspiring you know like it's like what am i doing with my life right now that can be more you know what can i do to be more for the community as well so i i thank you again for that that's just so selfless and such an amazing act that you
2: did. Wow. Thanks. But that's not all. <laughs> I do think we have, we have many different gifts and talents. So, you know, the analogy of like Absolutely. many parts, one body, everybody has different ways that they can pitch in. And so it's about looking to ourselves to say, hey, what am I called to do in this situation? Or what, what do I have to offer? And we all have something. It might not be, you know, yeah. maybe we don't have money to offer, but we have time. Or maybe we can make phone calls. Maybe we work more on the policy side. Mm-hmm. Like, there are different needs across the spectrum, and everybody can pitch in.
1: Speaking of policy for a second, um, what do you feel is one of the most challenging things that they're facing as far as policy is concerned around these, these children that are coming to the states right now?
2: Well, a clear path to citizenship is a really challenging issue. And... Um, right. I can give you some information, actually, um, on that side in terms, if we just look at, like, as you mentioned, I work in Collegiate Academies. I'm the director of alumni mental health Mm -hmm. services. I've been a social worker there and a teacher there over the last Mm -hmm. nine years. And when we look at our high school graduates, overall, 74% continue to higher education. When we take out students who are undocumented, 0% continue to higher education, and we have to change that. And so, like, that that jarred me a couple of years ago, and that is the genesis for the nonprofit ALAS. So ALAS is a program Mm -hmm. that has been in operation over the last four years in collegiate academy schools. Now we're up to five schools, and right Mm -hmm. now we're converting into a nonprofit so that we can serve more schools and more students. And mm-hmm. um, when you look at, you know, if you get charged with a crime in the United States and you go to court, you okay. get a public defender. If you have immigration right. court, there's no public defender. So when my students go to court without a public defender, they don't have 15000 to $20,000 to pay an immigration attorney. That means they represent themselves. Right. So we're talking about minors who don't have English as their first language in court representing themselves. I have a master's degree and have been in court a lot and I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And so um, the outcome is that only 8% actually get permanent residency when they're representing themselves. The outcome if they have an attorney is 88%. So this is like 80% difference. It kind of makes or breaks the case. And so that's one Mm -hmm. policy issue is having public defense in immigration court would be a stepping stone to create access towards pathway to citizenship. Uh, That's the second one, Mm -hmm. having clear pathways to citizenship. A lot of times people don't know much about immigration and they say, like, why don't they just do it the right way? Why don't they just get in line? There's not a line. Actually, people who are coming here from other countries who are seeking asylum are acting according to the law. Like you're allowed to come into the United States if you're seeking asylum and you file for that. And so what's happening now is actually that we are not upholding what our laws already say and we're barring people Mm -hmm. and then treating them in less than humane ways, to put it, to put it as nicely as possible. Um, But so the goal for ALAS is actually to connect students with attorneys so that they have representation in court and they can have access to permanent residency, which then grants. So on another policy tip, um, if you think of graduation, if you're in a state that doesn't offer in-state tuition to students who are undocumented, that means they have to pay out-of-state tuition and they don't qualify for federal financial aid. So that's more of the angle that I'm working on directly is looking at How do we get kids permanent residency so they can access that? And on the policy side, what that might look like is creating in-state tuition for graduates of high school from any given state, regardless of immigration status. And Mm -hmm. um, the other piece would be creating in-state aid, as some states have done, like Texas has the TAFSA, like FAFSA. So these are some examples of how policy could move forward, access to opportunity, both for citizenship and for education.
1: You know, you know, I think what's interesting is, you know, these kids actually want to be part of society, right? If you're going that far as to, I want to go to college, I want to be part of this community and be a positive influence, you would think that it would be a no brainer for people to want to be able to help these kids become part of society in a legal way, but it becomes such a challenge for them.
2: Absolutely. And we have to look at the narrative too, because there's some narrative that's used Mm -hmm. to divide us to say, well, these people are worthy and these people aren't. That's actually not the value of human dignity doesn't come from what we do, but rather who we are. And if you're a person of faith, I'm a strong follower of Jesus. That's a very clear teaching is that people's value comes from them being created, not from what they do. And so I, I, encourage people to examine those narratives so that we're actually looking at what does it mean to be a place where we believe in happiness ideals that we talk about but how do we include everyone in those instead of exclude people as our as we've seen multiple times throughout history
1: yeah, no, I, I completely agree 100% with you. I think what's been so dangerous about this administration has been the narrative that they've created around these people that are coming here to this country, you know?
2: Yeah, uh, and honestly, and it's,
1: it's very scary. Historically,
2: this has been true too, because we don't. Uh, I love President Obama for many reasons, but on immigration, Obama was a chief deporter. More people were deported under President Obama than any other president. And so I think one thing that is happening right now is because our current president has said so many terrible things and done so many terrible things, people are angry and people are aware that there's a problem. Before this time, there was still a problem there and there was less awareness and there was less mobilization Mm -hmm. to action. And so I think what we have to do is Get familiar, like in each community, find out who's an affiliate of the National Day Labor Organizing Network. In New Orleans, that's the Congreso de Jornaleros, the Congress of Day Laborers. In different states, in different communities, they'll have different names under that. Um, But just to actually find out, there are people who work on this 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 Mm -hmm. days a year. And that's one really good starting point to getting involved, is going to those groups and saying... How can I help?
1: Yeah. That's such a great idea. Um, (laughs) I feel like you're, like, inspiring me to mobilize to action again. (laughs) Do it. I haven't done this in such a long time, and now I'm, like, so inspired today because you really have given such amazing gems of knowledge about, you know, things that we can be doing in general. You know, like, what access do I have? Who can I be connecting people to? You know, just... Some things that are just so simple as, as getting on the phone and calling people and finding out more information is so it's so important. That's right. And you know what right now
2: at a time when the president announced these um, a deportation initiative, It's a time Mm -hmm. to get trained on rapid response to ICE. So if you're somebody who does have permanent residency or citizenship, who's not living in fear and who's not at risk of deportation, you can just go to a training to learn how you support our brothers and sisters who are living in this reality. And that's so simple. Mm -hmm. It could be that like you get a text alert and some, Something's happening in your area and you go and you film it, but you're trained like what's the proper way to do that so that you're not exposing yourself to any danger or harm and so that you are capturing anything that could be used in order to uh, support the person who is being targeted. So, wow. you know, just Googling like rapid response trainings, There's one coming up in New Orleans in the next couple of weeks. And um, this is being organized across the country. Organizations like Mi Gente and United We Dream are organizations that do this work year round. So we can look to them for information on narrative. Like we don't share articles to create panic, for example. We actually share action steps, you know. So there's there's levels to this and it doesn't matter what point anyone enters my charge to people is see what you have to offer and then enter together with the community that's near you. That's already acting on this. Hmm. Such a powerful call to action.
1: Yeah. That, that thank you for giving the information on these places to find, you know, just different ways. And, you know, you, you touched on something that I, I, I personally do myself, which is like sharing articles and it's not necessarily that you're trying to create panic, but really more educate the public on what's going on. But I think you're absolutely right. Instead of sharing those, it's just like more talking about things that they can actually do to assist versus scaring everybody into, you know, forensic panic about what's going on with immigration.
2: Right. And I mean, the impacts are real. I have a student who, as soon as that announcement came out, he quit his job and he called me and talked to me about it and said, like, I'm not going to be at risk of going to work. But that's what happens is that everyday people who are working hard to get their education and to work, who are paying taxes, are Mm -hmm. then paralyzed out of fear. And families are separated. I mean, we are all part of some sort of family unit, whether that's created or born And that's just an essential basis of our existence is being able to be mm-hmm. with people who we love. And so, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's, they're trying times, definitely, but there's a lot that we can do to support each other.
1: Definitely, definitely. So, I want to know you're starting a nonprofit. That's right. right. Biggest challenges that you've been facing so far as a
2: uh, creator? Uh, Have you heard of imposter syndrome? (laughs) Uh, So it's so interesting because people around me have been pushing me to do this for a long time. And I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. It took time, prayer, some experiences to come up for me to be in a place to say, now I'm ready. And I'm realizing Mm -hmm. how much of that has been centered in just the belief that I could, which If you know me, for people Mm. who do know me, people would call me confident. Like people wouldn't say, oh, she has insecurities around this. They would never guess that. Mm -hmm. But even people who come off as the most confident may still have insecurities about making changes, about potential roles, being different, ability to influence. Like these are big and scary things. They can be, but they don't have to be. And that's what I'm learning. Mm -hmm. It's like every day I am sitting down to do something never done before don't really know how to do And and I'm figuring it out but not by myself it's honestly drawing on the power of community like what I do know how to do is support students and what I do know how to do is train other educators how they can support their students so that they get this access to education and permanent residency what I'm learning is how to start an organization And that's intimidating, you know, fundraising, bylaws, selecting a board. Those are some initial steps that I've never done that before. And so I think just recognizing that, that like, you don't have to have it together. You don't have to have all the answers. You have to be willing to ask, you have to be willing to learn and to grow. And if you have that, Mm -hmm. then, you know, um, uh, one other point that is like essential to this I hear a lot of people kind of grilling me like, why are you starting something? We already have a lot of nonprofits. And I appreciate that because it's easy to duplicate services and we see that happening instead of work together. And so actually Mm -hmm. vetting, um, in this case, this is like a response to a need. So working in the schools, seeing a few needs that are unmet creating a solution uh together with families and students and attorneys and the legal community and now expanding it it's actually born out of something that didn't exist
0: so Mm -hmm. i do think
2: that's like the number one recipe after believing in yourself is working together to make sure that what you're doing is being done in the way that is for and with the people Yeah. Oh,
1: that sounds very challenging, but extremely powerful to say that, you know, you're basically like starting something from nothing. You saw that there was a problem. You worked with the community and now you're moving forward with your confidence. <laughs> <laughs> and with in syndrome, but everything together is helping you push forward. And, you know, it sounds like you're starting off on a really great, you know, in a really great place.
2: Different days feel different, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Overall, yes, that's a, that's a pretty bow to put on it. I I like it. (laughs) (laughs) So while you're doing all this
1: stuff, you know, working and you're starting a nonprofit and you're helping other other communities as well. How do you find time to take care of yourself?
2: Um, this is something I've struggled with over time. I think most educators in public education can attest to how hard it can be, especially when you're pouring out your cup sometimes runs low. And for me, filling up my cup has first to do with my faith. And that's what keeps me grounded in terms of like belief in humanity, belief in the value of every person, um, belief in my own value even despite things that might occur that are negative. And then Mm -hmm. just creating a schedule, which I don't like schedules, (laughs) but creating a schedule with boundaries and and like really holding yourself to sleeping enough exercise. I love to dance. Like my brain, it's always moving, but when I dance, it finally Mm -hmm. turns off and I can just like live on the dance floor And not be thinking about anything. And so I had to plan to make sure I'm dancing enough to make sure, um, like, eating healthy can be hard when you're on the go all the time. Making sure we drink enough water. I'm not an expert at all of these things Mm -hmm. at any given time. I would say at any given time, maybe I'm juggling a few of those things well and then have a few others to work on.
1: Yeah, uh, that
2: happens still a lot of (laughs) us. We try so
1: hard sometimes to do, and I'm, I've am i been realizing, like, being a woman sometimes gives you already, like, a whole bunch of checklists, right? Your hair, your makeup, your this, your that, your clothes, your shoes, like, all this stuff. And then on top of that, you have to eat healthy, you have to hydrate, you have to make sure that you're taking time out for yourself. So,
2: yeah, don't worry. We're all there with you. <laughs> yeah, and just a return to, like how am I going to be able to keep doing this and to sustain myself? Well, I have to be grounded. in. Yeah. I mean, these seem like really easy things and obvious things, but are we doing them? Like whenever I mm. notice that I'm at a breaking point or I have a bad attitude with somebody, I can pretty much always look back and say, oh yeah, I wasn't sleeping that much those days, or I haven't been exercising at all, you know? So, like there's a correlation to our productivity, our effectiveness, our happiness and well-being to taking care of ourselves. And it seems basic, but it can be hard to prioritize.
1: Oh, yeah. Especially with everything you're doing. I can't imagine. (laughs) So let me ask you a question. So you said that your mother is like one of your mentors and then the person who also helped you find your way into social work. But Who is like somebody that you look up to a hero or a hero or somebody that you continue to find motivation from?
2: Oh, I have to say my students. I mean, to be in the U.S. negotiating a second language or students learning a whole new system and to have come from an experience of trauma That was the reason for coming to the U.S. and then come on a journey that incurred more trauma and then face trauma here and then wake up every day and come to school and, uh, you know, show up however they show up, whether they have a big smile on their face or whether they're sad today. Just being and pushing forward is so inspiring to me. I was born in the U.S. I have so much privilege that I take for granted. And Mm -hmm. it's easy to forget that. It is. But when I look at my students and they're asking me, hey, I got 9 out of 10 on my test. I need to figure out why I didn't get this other one. I'm like, yeah, get it. Like that inspires me to do better. When I see my Mm -hmm. students reach out to each other, when they go through things and support one another, um, it is inspiring. It's just like the human spirit is amazing. And my students are my constant heroes and inspiration. Oh,
1: that's so beautiful.
2: I had a student who, um, uh, her her favorite author is Nicholas Sparks, and um, (laughs) one of my family members was able to get a book signed by Nicholas Sparks for her. And so anyway, uh, for her birthday, when she got that, she was like, this is the best birthday present I've ever gotten. And I just thought, like, How's that for a narrative on today's youth? Like the best gift ever is a book signed by my favorite author. That's who we're talking about. We're talking about like amazing kids who are excited to learn, excited to grow and deserve every opportunity to be in their full potential. Hmm.
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And if only we could continue to paint that positive picture of these children, hopefully people can actually see that you know, they really just all want the same exact thing, you know, and if that playing field was leveled for everyone, then we would be able to give them that access and that opportunity the education so that all they have to do is actually be
2: kids. That's right. The same things that you and I want for ourselves, for our family members, just that's right.
1: Mm-hmm. So Lisa, is there anything else you want to tell um, everyone who's listening, something that you feel that we might have left out that is important for you to get across to anybody who's listening today?
2: I think we have a lot of untapped brilliance and power and potential. And for those Mm -hmm. who are listening, if there's an idea you have or if you already have a solution that you're working on or a part of a community that's doing something great, don't be scared to take it to the next level. I mean, there is so much need and there's also so much creative genius in our own community. It's time for us Mm -hmm. to encourage each other, to leverage it, to bring it out. And like, we are our own solution. It has to come from within. And so don't hold back. That's, I would like to end on that. Si se puede. That is, si se puede. Lisa, it has been
1: such a pleasure to talk to you today and all these little gems of knowledge that you dropped today are, they're just so great. And it's, it's definitely just kind of like a, a, um, a reflection of the person that you are, um, and everything that you're doing for the community. We, I genuinely thank you for all that you're doing. And, um, if anybody's interested in finding out more information or getting in contact with Lisa to help her
2: with Alas
1: or um, if you want to donate any money to the, the church down in Tijuana, I'm going to go ahead and publish those links on my website, empowermentandallthat.com. If you click on the icon, you'll be able to see all the information in the show notes. And uh, you can access Lisa if you need, if you want to help.
2: Well, thank you. And anyone can always follow our Instagram or our Facebook. The handle mm-hmm. is the at sign, the arroba, free dot alas. Free dot alas. And on there, you can find what's going on next and always send a message if you're interested in getting involved. Well, sounds great. Thank you again, Lisa. You have a great afternoon and a great week. Thank you, Rita. Thank you for providing this space. And I'm encouraged by the work you're doing. Oh, <laughs> thank you so much. All right. All right. Adios.
1: Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Empowerment and All That podcast with your host, Rita Bautista. Want to help me grow the listener tribe? Make sure to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Instagram and Facebook under Empowerment and All That. And remember, keep it positive or don't keep it at all. Introducing the Black Kitchen Podcast, an audio series about modern Black cuisine. My name is Adrian Miller. I'm a culinary historian and soul food scholar. Over six episodes, I'll be digging into the stories of six Black restaurateurs. Join us while we chop it up about everything from their triumphs to their setbacks and their menus. You'll smile, you might even cry, and you'll definitely learn a little something. Find the Black Kitchen Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Get up to two free months of podcast hosting service with Lipsyn. Use our unique promo code LATINAPOD to get your show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Get critical audience building stats and all the support you need to sound your best. They can even do video. Bring your podcast to life and have your voice heard here, there and everywhere with Lipsyn. Again, make sure to use Lipsyn promo code LATINAPOD and get podcasting.